there is a phrase that the geek therapy community often uh, uses that kind of identifies one of the key elements in geek therapy, and that is that media matters. And so Rolling for Change comes along and we say interactive media matters, particularly gaming. And, you know, this episode could have been about anything. Your given hobby, whatever it might be, can be the catalyst for change in your life. And, and a lot of times probably we could probably even make a study that would show that people's hobbies make changes in their lives and for the better. So board games, video games, role-playing games, they're not really outside of that consideration, but they do have their own sort of philosophy, environment, whatever you want to call it. And I thought that one of the things that kind of, it's almost the center point of rolling for change, that games can make an impact on our life. I thought eh, maybe it's time for us to talk about how games make an impact on our life. And that comes as more anecdotal evidence than as clear scientific studies where, you know, 35 gamers out of 50 said that this is a big change. In their, I mean, you, all you have to do is talk to a gamer and you know that games have made a change in their life. So here we are. We have an episode today that is about the way that games change our lives, the way that games become pivotal in moments of change in our lives. Anything can be a change agent, but we've chosen to look at change agent as being all about gaming. There's a, as one of my outside trades, outside of the things that I'm already doing, I have studied music therapy. And one of the things we talk about in that music therapy group, it's, it's GIM by Helen Bonney. One of the things we talk about is the idea that music is the co-therapist. And it can be easily made a statement that gaming is also a co-therapist. And I know we'll get to that in some future episode, that games have the potential of opening doors that maybe would have only been shut if we continued to just live our lives normally. So maybe there's something very unique in gaming that can do that. But at least today, in this episode, what you're going to get is a series of stories that show how games can sit at the center point of a change moment in someone's life. And that's very heartening to me and very exciting. And I made the call at the end of the podcast, but I'll make the call now as well. If you have a story about the way that games have impacted your life in a positive way or even a negative way, because, you know, we can say, you know, that changed my life and I walked away from it all the worse. That's fine. I, I can say that about a few gaming experiences. Then bring it to us. We would love to talk about it. We'd love to talk to you. One of the purposes of Rolling for Change is to create community and to help people have a voice in talking about the way that games impact our lives. And that means you, as listener, come to us and tell us what that might be. Whether you come to us through email, through forum, through Geeklist, through just meeting us at a convention. We want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. So uh, please take this as your invitation to come and talk. It is so important to create this community, and I appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to this episode, which is an episode about how games change our lives.
Hello, my friends, and welcome to Rolling for Change, the podcast that discusses the experience and internal phenomenology of our board gaming and video gaming hobby. I guess LARPs, RPGs, all that stuff. All games are in this mix. My name is Woody Harris, and I am joined by my amazing co-hosts, Josue Cardona. Hello. And Brian Peace. How you doing? <laughs> How are you guys doing? Fantastic. I'm doing quite well. I, I'm, I, I'm, as always, I'm excited about our topic today, just because it, it, it really... It touches my my home heart for what Rolling for Change is all about, because it's about the way that games impact us. And today we're going to talk about how games have changed our lives, or our games that change lives. However, however you want to look at that particular thing, um, you know, basically having a board game or video game or role playing game experience that has made such an impact on our lives that it created ripples from that spot. Um. So, before we get too far into it, I, I, we've all got great examples, I'm sure, and and I wanna, I wanna catalog everything we can. But there are two spectrums or continuums that I looked at when I started thinking about this, and the first one is the peak and the nadir experience in gaming. And so, for those who don't know, this is a continuum where peak is like the greatest possible experience you can have. And nadir is the worst possible experience you can have. And typically those two ends of the spectrum have life-changing impact when they happen. Now, in board games, maybe it's not going to be the same as mystical oneness with nature. (laughs) Most likely. (laughs) Or the long, dark tea time of the soul. So we have to get a little further in the continuum um, in order to get to those two spaces. You know, maybe my experience with Game X did not change the trajectory of my life, but it may have changed some things I did in my life, and that that's small ripples as opposed to big ripples. Yeah. The next thing is to identify the ways that, how, how a game's actually making these changes in our lives. And I've, I've kind of saw this spectrum here also, where one of them is games sit at the intersection of a particular point in time that changes the trajectory of the life. So the game is just the artifact of the moment. And the other side is the game itself, somehow through its narrative, through its structure, through its play, allowed for a life-changing experience. So those out of the way, those two caveats, and, and I'll take any other caveats you guys can give me. What, what causes a game to be life-changing? Well, a lot of a lot of people, um, and I've been putting feelers out for different stories all over the place. And the one common thread I've gotten is it took people who had maybe friends who were loosely connected and created a community around them, or they were able to join into an existing community. Yeah. Okay. So this is the social aspect of it. Like, and this is the, the game itself was the glue for a particular group of people, or a larger group of people. I think that um, novelty and so maybe the the first time that you experience something mm-hmm. um, that can be very memorable and and also those moments of epiphany when you're playing a game and you realize something or you learn something those 
I think will fall under the category of, or will be the explanation for some people's life-changing game. Yeah, so so it's it's not the intersection then, it's it's the way that the game impacts you. Well, I think it, I think it, it's a lot of things, right? I mean, having a learning experience at a particular moment in your life is like it, it, there's some context there that makes a huge difference. And I think a lot of factors come together. That's why hearing uh, very specific stories is going to be it's going to be fascinating because people are going to talk about being in a in a specific place and time and situation and then having that experience and i think all of those things come together i don't think that necessarily one gaming experience with different people in a different place at a different time would have had the same effect right so it's it's the it's a momentary confluence of things happening at the same time i think so and also, there there are a lot of um, experiences around games that not due to the actual gameplay itself, or sometimes, yes, due to the gameplay itself, the game is a catalyst for wonderfully awesome things to happen or horribly bad things going off the rails. Right. So let, let's talk about some examples then, because uh, we all have our own examples of these things, and I have I have too big a, too big a catalog to really make this uh all fit into one episode of rolling for change but let, let's start giving some examples so that people can kind of dig into what it is we're talking about i'm curious as you were both thinking of a of your own examples was it difficult to find no not for me okay no okay was it for you it was in the way that just games are so important in my life in general right it was hard to start like to find specific points in my history that were that I could that I could consider life changing, and and I, <laughs> that's probably because um, us in this room right now we kind of uh, we think that games affect us tremendously. So true. I you know there's a game like two years ago that I played that I that I think was life changing for for a number of reasons, but then I was like. But like in my my thirties, is that is that my example? Was it? Isn't there one like earlier? Like, wait a minute, did I not have any other life changing examples? And it took me a while to really go back and think, think of those moments and those particular games that that stood out above. Like, basically, I had a pile of examples, and I was like, wait, wait, wait but I need, but what is, what would be the most life changing? What would be the 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 most like if I only had to choose one, what would it be? And that was Ooh. more difficult. Now that gets harder then if you yeah. start having to to choose <laughs> only one. It's funny because when you started the episode, you said about games that were life changing. I was like, oh, we're not talking about the game that changed our life, like the most life changing game. <laughs> that that would have made things easier for me. No, I made a <laughs> <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> I made a geek list on Board Game Geek where I mentioned three different games. Um, one one game that got one game that pulled me more into board games. One game that introduced me more into role playing games, and the the two different um, and sometimes intersecting cultures around those, and one that actually affected my my well-being, my um, my view of myself, hmm. my confidence levels. Hmm. Yeah, that that's good. You know, Josue, you're talking about that, and I'm thinking sometimes 
because our memory is such a faulty device in the first place. It's garbage. <laughs> we might need to identify a game that fits in that space and time. Uh, it, it's it's a photograph of a set of time rather than being the thing that made the change. Um, yeah. For me, that's that's going to happen a few times. There there are a couple of games where I'm like, yeah, that that totally changed the direction of my life, or that cho- you know, sometimes I'm talking about change with a small c. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I know, think, like I moving from not do. brushing my teeth to brushing my teeth, or something pedestrian like that. But it's still <laughs> a change that ripples out from from moment to moment. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think we have to we have to get away from like. You know, the, this game's going to change the world because as much as I want a game to change the world, I, I don't know if that's out there. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it exists. But uh, we can't even get, you know, we can't even get more than 40% of the population to play games right now. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, to, to that example, I forgot the name of it, but it, it's in Jay McGonigal's book. I think it's Reality is Broken. It is Reality's okay. Broken. I love that book. Yeah, and uh, well, she also has another book called Super Better, which I'm in in yes. chapter ten, by the way. <clears throat> and then there's this example <laughs> that uh, that she provides, um, and I forgot the name of the game or if it even has a name, but it was like this moment in history where there was a lot of famine, and supposedly, right, uh, the 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 governing body uh, created a game to make everybody to to entertain people when they were on famine so that they would you know it's like to keep people entertained while they weren't eating so they wouldn't be like as depressed and basically like that game is they attribute that game to that particular civilization's survival during certain periods because they knew the power of games to engage them and i i think that that falls at the level of like world changing you know i I didn't realize that this was talked about by uh jane mcgonigal because i discovered that same thing and, and have talked about it in some of our presentations mm, um yeah, yeah maybe even at pax unplugged we talked about it uh yeah it was uh i, I wish i could remember the culture but it's we're, we're talking about really ancient culture yeah um Let's where continue, they maybe? they chose to I'm not sure. eat every day or because they're trying to save the food and they use those every other day to play games exactly yeah that's incredibly life-changing <laughs> i mean it certainly ripples across the now yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, I found an excerpt of that one. Um, It's the opening of the book Histories by Herodotus. Um, Attis was king of Lydia in in Asia Minor about 3,000 years ago. And what they did was in the time of famine, people were becoming really upset. So he would say, okay, one day we will play games and nothing else and just ignore the fact that you're hungry. Tomorrow we will abstain from games and we'll do nothing but feast. And they would go back and forth like that. I feel like I need to try that. <laughs> yes. That would be nice. The game diet. Fasting and gaming and then feasting and not gaming. It's the feasting and not gaming that's not going to work too well for me. Especially like at a convention. I paid for this weekend. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to not feast. I'm not d- not fast. <laughs> in in histories it said it that went on for 18 years and that during that time they invented dice, knuckle bones, the ball and a lot of games that were common in the world around that time. The ball. That one changed the world. That one yes. was a, that was a good one. The ball. I was gonna say, did the ball come before the wheel? <laughs> no. The oh, wheel was invented longer than three thousand years ago. I badly wanted to know that games invented transportation. 
wait, that thing bounces and moves. Maybe we can put something smaller on this cart. <laughs> smaller than a ball? I think you meant that the other way around. Well, it depends on what kind of ball you're thinking of. I'm thinking of a volleyball. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> fine. Whatever. I think we all agree that the ball was uh, is, is a great game. It really, it really is. Life changing, world changing, <laughs> game changer. If you, you will, you guys are killing me. <laughs> I liked the stick too. Also, also a fan of the stick. Yes, and then eventually it evolved into stick ball. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, thanks to evolution, brought us Calvin Ball. Yes. <laughs> Nicely played, sir. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so getting back to topic at hand. Um, examples. What are, we wanted examples. <laughs> what are some examples that you guys can think of? And I'm, I'm most interested right now to hear from Josue because you said this was a real challenge for you. And, and for me and Brian, I feel like we were just like boom, 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 boom. Um, <laughs> what'd you come up with? Okay. <clears throat> so I also have three now. Um but the I think the one that that most I can most connect from there to here, right? Like that helped me get to where I am right now mm-hmm. is the they're all video games. Uh it's the Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I I remember that being the first time in my life when I was playing a game and thinking this is hard. This is <laughs> yes, it was. This is this is making me think. This is making me think more than school makes me think, and I'm enjoying it and I'm liking it. And I remember telling my mom for the first time at that age, like, "Mom, I think video games are really like are going to make people smarter because they make people think." And like, that's what I do now, right? That's right. And, and and that game was the first one that made me think that. And I must have been, I don't know, twelve, something like that, right? Maybe. Uh, I have to. I can do the math. Wait a minute. It came out. It doesn't matter. But the, the game. <laughs> <clears throat> I remember very vividly thinking that. And the whole game is a is a puzzle. You mm-hmm. you have actual puzzles. But then you travel in time to solve problems. And there are all these different things happening. And and in a way, even battling is a is a is a puzzle, right? It's like it's kind of like a, a rock, paper, scissors situation. Um yeah. it's it was it was something that made me think like that for the for the first time. And then along those lines, as a kid I, I used to love fighting games like Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, things like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a game in the early two thousands called Soul Calibur Two. Like Soul Calibur yeah. Six just came out, but uh, it's it's a, another fighting series, and in that in that game the the fighting happens, uh, it's very vertical and horizontal in, in with weapons. So it's like a three D fighter, and there are characters that have very long weapons. So you can really see the arc of the weapon like swinging up and coming down, and there's like a wider opening. And there are other characters that have much shorter weapons, and they're they're quicker. But that vertical and horizontal uh, gaming mechanic, where like that's that's the fight. Like if someone comes with a wide opening up top, then you come you can come with a a short uh, horizontal attack. Like then then you had your opening right, and you can you can attack. It was the first time after 
playing fighting games since I was very, very, very little, it was the first time that I felt like I saw the Matrix. Like I could see, ah. I could understand how fighting games worked. And that has been huge because uh, fighting games, they're, they're completely technical. Like right now, if you buy if you buy something like Street Fighter Five, you you can go into a training mode that has grids and timing, and it shows you distance, and it's like you can stand this far and do this. Like it is it is so so technical, and the way the way that people who are really good at those games think uh, about those games and are able to play them goes, you know, it's like astrophysics. You know, it's like it's one of those things that if you hear people talking about it, it just doesn't make any sense, and it was a it was a genre that I loved, but I didn't understand until I played Soul Calibur two, and it was not only this incre- incredible appreciation for an entire genre of games, it opened up my my eyes to something that I had again like I I known for for almost a decade, and ever since I have I don't know just the, again this appreciation for that community for the fighting game community, and I just love to hear people talk about fighting games because it is it is one of the most technical things that you can do and it's technical and very fast and it is and once you understand it you see it i mean i think you know most sports are that way and, and art and everything right once you really understand it and you look at it it it's completely different so i, I like that example of like i could see the matrix it's it's incredible mm-hmm. now and it was it was that game it was soul caliber 2 that allowed me to to see that and and really it opened my eyes to, I think, in general, just more technical things. Like I'm, I have, I'm, I was an engineer. Like there, there's a certain way that I think about things and I look at things, and I think that was a huge part of it. Like, how does the world work? How do these things? How do these things work together? Uh, at a granular level, really important. And and then so so the the first example that I came up with when you asked the question was and a game of my, I've mentioned many times before is Monster Hunter World. And uh-huh. I, I was resistant to bring it up because I was like, oh, it's, it's so new. That game's like a year and a half old. How could it be that big of a difference? But it was, I think it was the first game that I actually studied. You know, like okay. I had, like even, even Ocarina of Time, I was excited. I wasn't a Zelda fan before then, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of hype around it and my stepbrother had uh, given me for my birthday the strategy guide, and I remember looking at that strategy guide. But really, that's like a here's how you play, like here's how you get through each part. Yeah, I didn't study, and and I, I think this is this is especially something that that all of us can appreciate. It's like Monster Hunter World. I again, I've played like I don't know 200 hours at this point, and I could feel myself getting better. But it was not only because I practiced, but it was also because I studied it. The more I studied and practiced, the better I got. And that game still has so much to offer because not only does it change a little bit over time, but uh, adding new elements, but it also, like, it has 14 different weapons that you can use. And I've only used one, you know? Like, I'm still mastering one after almost 200 hours. And I want to go back and master some of the other ones because the experience of learning it has been so fulfilling. The, like, Ideally, you go and you learn something and then you practice it and you get better at it. And unfortunately, as much as we like to think that that's true in the real world, it's not as easy <laughs> and it's not always fruitful. But in this game, it, you know, it, it pays off and it feels incredible. And it's, it, those are ideas that I think about now in my daily life. 
and study and practice isn't something that I, it's, a, it's a obvious now, but now I say those words all the time. And I may be talking about a million different things and I may be telling it to other people to help them overcome a particular problem or situation in their life. But really, I'm thinking about Monster Hunter World. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and so those are the three three big ones that, that came up as I was thinking to answer this question. So these all seem like games that are uh, they are geared towards, at least for you, they, they've changed kind of your, your filter on the world because of the way that they worked inside the game and it kind of motivated you, inspired you to see things in a different way. They did something to my brain. Yeah, all three of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if we could put the headset on you and try to see what's happening in Hostway's yeah. brain when he plays Monster Hunter. Yeah. And I mean, and yeah, those are those are three very cerebral experiences, right? I think, I don't know, maybe I was expecting to find something like more of an emotional connection. And I think, and, I, and those exist around those games also. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you expand the story and, and give them more time, but as, as like the core experiences that made a difference, yeah, they, they were all, were all brain experiences. <laughs> okay. All right. So these are games that made a difference to you. The games themselves maybe didn't set out to make changes in your life, but they have made changes in your life as a result of the gameplay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know okay. if just the gameplay, but yeah, there was, there was some effort put into it, right? There was some, like, they all sparked something in me that yeah. led to other things. Yeah. Like Geek Therapy, pretty much, like, I could tie that back to Ocarina of Time. It occurs to me that we should be the official sponsor for Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to become the new Monopoly drink. Uh, it's a good all game. right. <laughs> what about you, Brian? What are your... What are your go-to thoughts on this? What are the immediate well, pop-ups for you? I have two. One that's um, a high point and one that's kind of a low point. Um, oddly, they're both role-playing games. That's kind of weird. I figured it'd be something along the lines of a board game. But as I got to thinking about it more, um, I started off with, um, what was it? Uh, Marvel Superheroes Advanced Box Set, which I yep. never once in my entire life had the chance to play. I owned it. And I made up dozens and dozens and dozens of characters um, just for fun. I would um, sit down and write up characters for all my friends. I would write up, you know, basically picking out their personality, quirks and flaws and uh, uh, benefits and build a character around it. And they thought that was really cool, but no one would actually play the game because... Uh, they'd rather just sit around and goof off and maybe play video games than play a role-playing game. Um, moved on to D&D, which I played uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, and it never really clicked with me. The whole idea of Thaco to hit armor class zero, and sometimes you roll high, sometimes you roll low, and this is how you do the calculation of what you need to roll for this. I just In high school, that was just, I don't want to get into that, that level of math. Um, then in, once I got into my college years, someone dropped a game of champions on me, superhero role-playing, which got me right back to the Marvel superheroes thing and said, you know, do you want to join this game? And I said, sure. What the hell? I'll give it a shot. Right. If I thought any other game was too mathy, this one was supremely mathy. However, we had a game master who would do square roots in his sleep. 
we would sit and play games until about four or five in the morning. And once he started getting, you know, loopy and talking out of his head, you know, about to pass out in his chair, we would start throwing numbers at him, high numbers, low numbers, et cetera. And he'd rattle off the square root half asleep. And someone else would be sitting beside with a calculator going, holy crap, he's right again. So he, he had no patience for us trying to figure out what to roll. So he would just do the math in his head and say, you need to roll this. And this is what you need to get on the dice. Just roll it. And I never had to learn how to math out the rules for the game. He just gave it to us, which is really bizarre because he was also a really good storyteller. And those two things usually don't mix in people very well. Um, I joined this group, had about two people in it at the time that were playing, and I was the third. Uh, they gave me one of the former antagonists of the team, Riptide, who was an armored, basically he's a speedster brick. He could run really fast, and he hit things really hard. That was his shtick. Um, I came up with a backstory that um, the only reason I was a quote-unquote villain was because my daughter had been taken by the main villains they were fighting, which were a demonic horde that was trying to invade their reality. My daughter had been taken, and they were using me as their tool to keep them distracted. So the heroes decided, okay, join us, and we'll set your, we'll free your daughter. And so that became the focus of the story, was getting my daughter away from the demons and then casting them back to their other realm. Um, it was the very first time that my, create, my creative impulse was encouraged outside of a classroom. Hmm. Um, the whole story revolved around my character, which I felt really, you know, self-conscious about at first, but it's because I felt like I was taking away from the other players, but I watched them play for a while. And anytime the story quote unquote focused on them, they felt like the game master was picking on them because those of you who've played role-playing games before know that for the story to really focus on you, you have to be provided with challenges. And for them, a character-based challenge was picking on them, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. they, they felt like you were putting bad things on them personally. They made it personal. But he could throw he could throw everything but the kitchen sink at me, and I saw it as what it was. It was a storytelling moment. It was a chance to utilize my character to overcome a challenge and grow as a person. So I, he, he saw that I thought that way about it. And he just started throwing everything at me. And the other guys were like, it is so great. He's picking on you and not us. This is awesome. <laughs> I just thought it was the most alien thing I'd ever heard of in my life to think the game master's picking on you. Um, so I had the chance to be the center of attention, which was very unusual for me. Um, the people had a, had the chance to have fun with the story that I was quote unquote, the star of, um, I was in a pretty bad place at the time in a, in a way, cause you know, coming out of high school, going into college, your life's in flux. And it's sometimes, especially with me, with no one in my family ever having been to college and having no idea what I was doing. It was, it was a good experience to have that ego boost in my life when I really kind of needed to, to get an ego boost. That was the good one. The bad one revolves oddly enough around Dungeons and Dragons third edition. Okay. Um, I got back into D&D with 3rd Edition, and eventually with 3.5, and that morphed into um, Pathfinder. But the road to that was kind of rocky. I was running another role-playing game at the time because I didn't want to play D&D, so I played this other, like, homebrew game this guy was selling. Um, 
and eventually 3.0 came out and even the guy who made that game said, I'm not producing this anymore. 3.0 has everything I wanted this game to be. So I'm going to be discontinuing the game. And I said, wow. So I went and bought 3.0 and sure enough, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, so I started playing whole hog and have people over to the house because my wife at the time did not like me leaving the house to do things. She wanted me to stay in the house to do things. Everyone had to come to me. I couldn't go to them, which suited everyone fine. We played either in the kitchen or in the basement or wherever, you know, it was our house. We had a, a son at the time and eventually we had a daughter and throughout all that time, I ran my games. I was almost exclusively the only person running games, starting off with Werewolf the Apocalypse through, uh, we ran some Mage, the Ascension. We ran all kinds of games and this homebrew system I was talking about. And my, my ex-wife, when we first met while I was, while I was in high school, she never had any interest in playing role-playing games. But whenever we were first dating and I went, actually went to college, she decided she was going to give it a shot just to see if she could get into the hobby too. After one game, she decided, no, not for me. And I was fine with that. That was cool. As long as I still get to play games, hmm. we're good. So she was fine with it. I went out and played games and, you know, she was doing her thing. And then we got married and suddenly it wasn't, you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. It's you're doing your thing here with me. You're not leaving, <laughs> which I accepted because, Hey, I've got all my books here. Why would I have to pack everything up and travel? So that's cool. Eventually, um, one of my old friends from high school started coming over and playing and she decided she wanted to give it a try again. And I was like, really? After almost 10 years of marriage, she wanted to finally play a game. And I thought that's really awesome. So, um, I designed a game, uh, think of, Maybe it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something that we were playing at the time. But I basically tailored a game and the players around including her in the group. Mm. So people who wouldn't really set her off, people who wouldn't rub her the wrong way, you know, people who I thought she'd get along with, people who I thought would bring a good experience to it and design the game around things that she would kind of get into. And everybody was on board with this. So she started playing and she started becoming kind of regular. She liked it. And eventually she said she wanted to branch out on her own and go try a different group. Cause she said, it's kind of awkward with me being the game master. She wanted to try a different game master just to see if she could really get into it without any relationship issues getting in the way of it. And I thought, all right, cool. You go do that. So she went with this former high school friend of mine and she would go out in the evening and play games and come back late at night. Um, I stayed at home with the kids because no one else could stay at home with the kids. And don't get me wrong. A lot of you out there thinking she went out with an old friend of yours and quote unquote played D and D. You must be stupid. No, I was not stupid. I had the, I hacked the email account that she was using and I found out that I was, that you are absolutely right. That's what she was doing. Did she go play D and D? Yes. She actually went and played. And then afterward they went over to his house. <laughs> uh, okay. So that she used Dungeons and Dragons, my hobby to sneak around behind me. So 
once the divorce happened and it, you know, all that nastiness happened and she moved out and I sold the house and all the bad things happened, I tried to play a role-playing game again. I couldn't run the thing. Every time I started thinking of stories to run, I mean, I was in the middle of several games and every time I tried to come up with a way to expand the story, I would almost have a panic. No, I would straight up have a panic attack. So I said, okay, I can't run games right now. I just have to take a, about a month or two off. Give me a couple months off. A couple months turned into years and years and years. And someone finally said, can you play a game? And I said, yeah, I could try that. I played, I played a couple of games and it, I always ended up backing out of the game or just letting it fall apart because I, I was having emotional issues just playing the game. In a way, in my subconscious, the game itself or my love of the game itself had betrayed me. Hmm. And every time I tried to play a game, it was like allowing myself to be vulnerable again, like getting into a new relationship. Whenever you've just come out of a really bad one, you have these feelings of, is this going to happen to me again? I can't let myself love this thing because my love of this thing caused this other thing to be possible. And it took me a really long time. I mean, I'm back playing games again, and don't get me wrong. It has been well over 10 years since this happened. Yeah. I still have moments. Whenever, and it's not even subconscious. It's nothing, I mean, it's not even conscious. It's nothing I really think of. It's, I start getting kind of, my nerves start getting bundled up whenever I start thinking about running a game. Um, I'm in a new relationship now. My wife does not play role-playing games because she doesn't like thinking on the fly like that, but she is a huge board gamer. So I married well this time. Um, but that's, that's kind of how the, the thing, the catalyst for bad things happened within a game or because of someone else's adoption of a game, I guess, um, kind of made things go off the rails for me. Wow. I'd never heard that story so, before. I didn't know where it was going. I, I was either. on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, no, no, like, don't let it be that way. No. I was like, Ginger, yep. Ginger was here a couple of weeks ago. W what's happening? Like, is, that's not Ginger, is it? <laughs> no, that's Ginger is my current wife. No, no, We're I know. About I know. The one I know. Before that. <laughs> yeah, but at first I didn't know. You're like my wife. I'm like, oh drama i don't i don't know what's happening oh but i mean and it's it's so sad because it's like your favorite thing right i mean i, I don't know if it, if it was your favorite thing but it's like one of your favorite things something that you love so much was ruined and i mean that happens right it's like we people talk about oh like i can't go to that place anymore or, i had to move out of the house or you know like i i can't hang out with those people anymore but something that's like at the core of your social experience and how you make friends and the thing that you oh brian broken my heart man <laughs> yeah I, I will say there's an upside to this he doesn't get to play role-playing games anymore she kind of fell out of favor with the hobby and now he doesn't go anywhere and do anything anymore like that because he's not allowed to leave the house <laughs> well he may be allowed to leave the house but she she pro probably it discourages it oh, heavily man. i don't know i'm not part of the relationship my all i know is my kids say oh he doesn't play role-playing games anymore they don't go out and do anything like that anymore oh well good <laughs> <laughs> wow oh man well, ugh. well i mean but but your first example uh was was much more upbeat 
then. Yes. <laughs> like one. And it kept reminding well, me of, uh, have you have you guys ever seen that episode of Community? Uh, um, I, th- I think the it's- The Dungeons and Dragons one? Yeah, there's yeah. two of them. Yeah. I think it's the, it's the yeah. first one where they, they they build a campaign around the character of Neil. Just yes. Like, you mentioned like you, you could see that like this game gave you the ego boost that you needed. And yeah, like I kept thinking of that episode. I was like, wow, like Brian was Neil in that in that example. That's a great episode where where they do just that. Like all the friends come together and they, they build a campaign, not just to include, you know, other people, but to, like help him feel uh, better in a way. We are we are so on the edge of a future topic, but I, I just uh, I just realized you know that pretty much the reason that game was so good was because Pierce was such a great antagonist to that story. True, true. In the show, <laughs> true. Yeah, I take your sword, and I, that that that. Just, <laughs> everyone needs to see that episode. It's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so now I got to pull myself back from the precipice of Brian's story. Cause my heart <laughs> literally was like, Oh, this is so terrible. Um, and I started even thinking, you know, that maybe sometimes for you, Brian, and I hope this is not the case very often, but maybe sometimes for you, the role playing stuff that we do, maybe kind of a PTSD experience for you in a way. Yeah. Because it's kind of plaguing you and it, it's, it's blocking you and keeping you from, from being who you want to be in that moment. And so I, uh, I, I think you should learn a way to say, well, maybe you have learned a way to say, I just can't do it right now. Um, but certainly don't want, you know, our interest in role-playing games and our, our love of you as a game master to ever have that impact on you. The main impact it's had is if you've noticed a couple of times I've showed up and had to sit and read the story that I'm doing Yeah, on the fly. I've read it before. But for some reason, I haven't absorbed it. Yeah. And okay, that's it, fair. Yeah, because I have to sit and read it in sips. I have to do a little bit and a couple of scenes and, okay, walk away for a little while. Hmm. And I don't absorb a lot of it sometimes. So I have to look at it in the moment and say, oh, right, that thing. Hmm. And I'm getting better at figuring out the powers of the, the antagonists and stuff like that. So I don't have to keep referencing stuff too much. But it's still kind of a struggle sometimes. Yeah, there there is a bit of that. That's tough too, because it's also something that you're just fantastic at doing, and uh, the stories that you've created for the ones that I've been in have been riveting and uh, at at times, dare I say, life changing. Although you aren't any of my examples. Oh, <laughs> thank you, though. <laughs> Such a um, nice thing to say. <laughs> well, because so uh, you know we're we're going down a personal path here, but because Brian does such a good job at characterizing the characters that he is trying to play for us. Hmm. And at building a story on the fly and at being aware uh, of the relationships within the game such that he can create obstacle when he needs to and create opening when he needs to to keep the story flowing in a way that never feels overly um, uh, blocking to our progress as a team but also always feels challenging to what we're going to do next. Even when it's just like we spend a whole day in battle which is kind of annoying to me because I'm like, that uh, that's not story to me. But sometimes those battles are so epic, and it's because Brian does such a good job at being the manipulator of an epic story. Hmm. So th- those are life-changing in a sense. And, yeah. and, and since you guys gave three examples, I'll give three examples of my own, and I'll try to... I, I, don't, I don't know how to characterize them because I really have a lot. 
I mean, obviously, I, I run a, a podcast about gaming. I must have a lot. I, I can say that there's a lot of turning points that have brought me to where I'm at right now, and, the, and those turning points are really important. Um, and so I'm not going to go to the most important one first, just because I've told the story so many times and because I want to build up some kind of sense of uh, suspense in my in my story here. Um, so the first one that I can think of that really made a change in my life was Dark Tower, the original Dark Tower from way back when in the day. I, I've been a game player all my life. Not that I knew that this hobby board gaming community existed outside of my playing of the games, you know. Just looking in a Sears or JCPenney catalog prior to Christmas and seeing all the options uh, was a fantastic experience for me. And one that I got really excited about the moment I saw it was Dark Tower. Now, for those who haven't played this or don't know about this game, thank God for Restoration Games because they're putting a new one together. And I will jump on their Kickstarter in a heartbeat just because of the, the nostalgia factor of this game. But this was an electronic-based game on a board... And the tower in the center was the computer, and the computer told you how your battle was going, where you were at in terms of reaching keys and, and treasures and things of that nature. So it was, in a sense, a computer-moderated Dungeons & Dragons experience, set in an expanse where you're trying, to get, you're trying to get some area control going, but you're also trying to get to the top of the tower and, uh, and fight the brigands to win the battle. Um, that's, that's my memory of it, and, and it's a little hazy right now. Uh, but I... Prior to that, I had mostly played games with my mom or whoever was available at the time. I had a cross-the-street neighbor who his parents brought him just a ton of board games. And I remember walking to his house and being just in awe that all these things existed and excited about it. And I, I, would, I would work to play games with him, but he never turned out to be the friend that I wanted him to be, so I didn't get access to that nice big pile of games. My other next-door neighbor on the other side of me, her mother and father brought her tons of games. But she was only available for very limited quantities of time, and so we never got to play a lot of games there. Um, so that meant that I had to kind of rely on my own games to keep me company. And even though my mom would play games with me, she was often, uh, now that I'm an adult, she, I would say she was often in a depressed state, but she was often kind of isolated from me. And so what do I do with my time? I spend my time in, in uh, my own personal isolation and building my imagination and, and working through things and and. Basically, I was a very creative kid with a very healthy imagination who could find, you know, a number of imaginative ways to get out of really uh, otherwise boring situations. Um, but along comes this game, and this game has a solo mode. And I spent hours upon hours playing this solo mode game. I would take it out in the backyard. God forbid I would even think about doing that right now. I would take it out in the backyard and play in the backyard. Um just sitting there playing with the the game and doing different things with the game. I have the feeling that the backyard is the reason that the game got destroyed in the first place. It's a really <laughs> sad state of affairs. How old were you? Uh, I would say between 8 and 10. Okay. Um, this, it just, it was fantastic. And I, I could get people to play with, with me sometimes. But for some of my friends, it was a little too complex. And for my mother, it was a little too complex. We didn't play it much. Um. So it ended up being a very personal experience to hang out with Dark Tower. And, you know, that's just a fulcrum moment in that history of, of games where it's like, okay, I can't play games with you, I can't play games with you, I can't play games with you, I'll play games with myself. And from there, from Dark Tower, a whole set of games came out that were 
that had a a single player game mode. Um, I think one was called Electronic Detective, which I found fascinating and wonderful. But Dark Tower started it all and set me off in this direction of, of just enjoying myself playing games on my own. Um, I was an isolated kid. I had to do a lot to sort of entertain myself. And uh, I, I wouldn't say I had a ton of uh, life mate kind of best friends at the time. So Dark Tower held this kind of central spot. I'm going to stay in the same realm of time. Uh, and now talk about a game called Adventure. Adventure is a game that was on the Atari 2600. It's a very simple D&D-based game. Uh, you know, kill the dragon, grab the key, open the door. Th- that was the, the central premise, and there were mazes, and there were things like that. Um, and, and this is only life-changing because it has a moment in it in which it, it's just such an endearing moment. I... I can say with hindsight that I really love my dad. I I think he's a fantastic person. I think he's got a really good heart. But at the time, I was not enamored. He was my stepfather, and he was not my favorite person in the world, and he scared the shit out of me on a regular basis. Um, Along comes Atari 2600. And the night that we got... Adventure. It may even be the night, the day after we got Atari 2600. But the night we got Adventure, my dad and I did not sleep. We played the game the entire night until morning. And this was changing in the sense that it helped me to see my dad as someone that I could actually, at least sometimes, get along with and find some joy in. Whole lot of water under the bridge since that time. But that moment was a moment uh, that kind of this is a, a snapshot in my life of of how a game can have the potential to bring two people together that often don't get along whatsoever, <laughs> and and so I get a little teared up talking about it just because adventure was so important to me, yeah. and then it's also the first place that I saw a Easter egg. And I discovered it on my own without any help. So the, that was that was very exciting. Also, now we'll fast forward to my big my big edition answer because I have so many that I could tell you about. But the big edition answer I've talked about before on Rolling for Change, and that is Trajan. Mm-hmm. And Trajan comes at the the peak point of a series of experiences that brought me into the larger board game community. You know, I could start and say that. Thank God for Will Wheaton, and thank God for my friend Dave Leach, who is now my friend, but was originally just someone who taught me how to play Carcassonne. Um, And thank God for Geek and Sundry, because they all kind of introduced me to a bigger world than I had ever known that I could be a part of. They introduced me to a reality that I just couldn't even fathom existed. But on that trajectory, I went to a game gathering, and I met up with the game Trajan. Trajan is a Steffenfeld board game that is all about managing resources and building things up. And for those who know Steffenfeld, there's a thousand different ways to get to victory. And you just have to find a kind of take that ambiguous thousand ways in your head and plot a course that's going to be effective victory as opposed to just random points gained from all these different things you do. Because pretty much anything you do in a Steffenfeld game, you'll get points for. Now, how can you get the most out of those points? So I come across this game. I've never had this experience 
in my life. I've never been in a Euro game. I mean, I'd played Catan. Catan is is peanuts compared to Trajan. Trajan introduced the possibility that I could be put in a situation where the choices were so challenging to me that I had to really, really examine myself and figure out what is it about me that's keeping me from making choices? What is it about me that's not able to find this path to victory in this multitude of possibilities? And what I came across, and I've talked about it many times on Rolling for Change and in in various panels that I've been a part of, I came across the idea that when I am posed with uh, and near, in my mind, near infant variety of possibilities, I freeze up. And it wasn't the game itself. The game pointed to something in me. I went home with the thoughts of, that was really not a comfortable game. I didn't really enjoy that experience. So this is where we get into that peak versus nadir. There's something about that that particular spectrum that can cause a self-examination, I think. Maybe more on the nadir side than on the peak side. But I said, okay, here's this game. Other people seem to really enjoy it. I got my ass kicked, didn't understand it, felt helpless, felt worried, felt incredible stress and anxiety. And instead of letting that push me back and say, I, this board gaming thing is just not for me, which how could I possibly? My entire game had ro- rotated around finding games and digging for, for little bits of community that I could find. But instead, I turned it around and said, how did this game do this to me? What was this about this game that made such an impact on me? And there, my friends, is where Rolling for Change originated. The idea that games impact us in such a way as to self-examine, as to create reflection of where we're at, what we're doing, and who we are, and at least give us an opportunity to challenge that vision of ourselves and change the direction of that vision. Those are my three. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was impressive. I'm a little verflimped (laughs) with all these stories. Yeah. Um, I I came. uh, I was thinking on your adventure example in particular. There's a show on Netflix called Father of Light. Final Fantasy 14. And it's literally a six-part live-action Japanese show about a son and father who bond over Final Fantasy 14. And you see their relationship outside of the game, and then you see them play together inside the game. And I I love that show because the experience that that you just shared is... A lot of people have had those moments where, like, a game was the thing that created or repaired or changed a relationship. And except in like situations like this where we make that a topic, how how often do we hear about that? And I think that show is really special because it it, it shows a version of that story that you shared that is so important. People should check it out. 
Yeah, I really need to check this out, especially since I have such a love for Final Fantasy fourteen. Mm, what a great good. game. Yeah, yeah. What an amazing piece of media. <laughs> you need to you need to <laughs> even if you just need to take cookies to the general, what an amazing piece of media. <laughs> <laughs> but do you play Final Fantasy fourteen now? It it's been uh about a year and a half or so. I was part of a group uh called Cardboard uh Cardboard Warriors or something like that. And uh I was getting they were way advanced of me. Um, and I was just trying to catch up. Um, but, you know, it was a a pay-as-you-go kind of thing, like a pay-per-month kind of thing. Yeah. And it took some time. And also, at the time, I didn't have super fast internet. Yeah. <laughs> so it had lots of issues. And there was one place I got stuck, and then I just, you know, you guys talked about uh, accessibility on GT Radio. That place I got stuck kind of just floored me. Mm-hmm. It kept me from being able to move forward, and I... Um, I know that some of it was probably just about like uh, hand-eye coordination and figuring out how to manage this battle without uh, without killing myself because um, I went through the battle I don't know thirty times. Hmm. Um, it just it just became disheartening. Yeah, and uh, it's almost sad because I really really enjoyed all the quests I was on and I was moving along in the story, and then this this one super uber challenging space comes up and people have passed it so they're like well what go ahead and pass it here's how you pass it <laughs> i i couldn't ever get the pass um and so i i, I kind of want to go back to it uh, so do maybe I. through that's playstation why, maybe through yeah i guess playstation is the way to go because uh, i don't want to do it on the computer anymore i think it's probably better on on a uh, an individual system yeah i like it with a controller um yeah no I, I, let's talk about that off air <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I'd love to go back and, and restart the campaign, and I, I could pay a little bit per month if we could find a time to, to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we we're, uh, we we got some really autobiographical stuff out there, and uh, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate that Brian created an audience for this discussion because what we're talking... You know, I remember being in uh, the PAX Unplugged panel, and people were so... Uh, inspirational and engaging with their own personal stories about games it was just it was really touching and amazing to me um and i called it going to church um because it really felt like we were all giving testimonials about our experience in in gaming and for those that are listening to this episode that haven't listened to that episode please go back and listen to those those testimonials because they're they're really heartwarming and heartrending and uh just they're amazing people out there who have gaming experiences and who have been able to articulate those gaming experiences in a way that they were able to share them with all of us, which, uh, you know, amazing. I, I feel very lucky that we are in a community that feels so open and, and willing to talk about their experiences. But Brian's created a geek list for us, and I thought maybe we could go through some of those in the geek list and talk about these experiences that people have been so kind to share with us. Um. Brian, what do you think? What's what's a good one to start with? Um, an interesting one for me that popped up was um, something that we've, I think we've all at some point in trying to um, evangelize board games have tried to pull off before. And I've seen stories where, the, mostly stories where this has gone fairly wrong. Um, Eric Brocious um, on Board Game Geek posted, um, he's from... Uh, Massachusetts, 
He said, I played board games as a small child, but I hated them. In both Candyland and Shoots and Ladders, you had no decisions to make. A quote-unquote winner was determined, but the players had no role in determining who that was. Then, at age six, a neighbor family gave a game to my mother for me. They had purchased D-Day at a local department store, but when they opened it, they decided it wasn't a family game for them. This game fascinated me, though it took me a few years before I could figure out how to play. And it made, me, it made board games something I looked forward to rather than something I tried to avoid. Another game is one mentioned by Joe Huber above, The Settlers of Catan. It was fast and socially in, engaging, and I had a great mix of skill and luck. I still think of quote-unquote old games as those that came out before Settlers and quote-unquote new games as ones that came out after it. The reason why this one stuck out to me in a way was because I think everyone at some point has given someone a game hoping that as a gift or something. Not everyone, but a lot of people have tried giving games as a gift to someone. Hoping to evangelize the hobby. Hoping to evangelize the hobby. And let me tell you, that's the wrong way to do it. Um, because Don't stop trying. Don't stop yeah, trying. Because, well, no. <laughs> the best way to do it is to introduce them to a game by playing a game with them and finding out their tastes rather than just handing them a game. Because you may be handing them the exact wrong game and then suddenly they just don't like board gaming at all. Um, this was a very lucky situation because, I mean, this this had the makings of disaster written all over it. You're giving a war game, D-Day. Um, now a you game of invasion. Now you change World War II history in the realistic invasion game by Avalon Hill. All right, this is an Avalon Hill war game. This is not, you know, this is kind of a jump from Shoots and Ladders and Candyland, you know? For a six-year-old. For a six-year-old. <laughs> and I've got to give, I got to give Eric, I got to give him props, man. He said it took him years to figure out how to play, but just sticking with learning, trying to figure out learning how to play it and eventually playing it, enjoying it. That, I mean, props to the dude. That that was pretty impressive. Because yeah. um, I I had several games that I play, that I bought whenever I was younger and they were too difficult for me to figure out. Never learned how to play them. I still own two of them. I still own the very first game I ever bought, and I don't remember how to play it at all. <laughs> so that's that was really, really impressive. It's like uh, teaching yeah. yourself how to play the guitar from... Right. From yeah. scratch. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one that's, that's, that uh, Woody and I were discussing earlier. Is it Mississippi Queen? Mississippi Queen. Yeah, you want to read that, read that one? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank I want to thank Sven DeBacker. I hope I'm saying your name correctly, sir. Uh, for this uh, for this testimonial. Yeah, he's he from says, Belgium, by the way. Interesting fact. Yes, <laughs> he says in the summer of 1998, I was staying with relatives in Germany for a couple of weeks because of an internship that I was doing there as part of my study program. Until then, I had only been playing the classics, with Risk having become the standard go-to game during my study years. Not to speak bad of the game, like so many others, we had tremendously good fun with it. During my stay there, I was browsing my niece's game shelf and found out I knew literally not a single one of the games they owned. The game that most drew my attention was called The Mississippi Queen. It had apparently recently won some kind of award that I had never heard of before. Spiel to something. It took a little persuading, but my nieces agreed to play the game with me, and I was simply blown away by it. It was elegant and original and was so well executed that I fell in love with it right away. Over the next days, we also got to play many other great games, but Dicidler von Catan 
and six nymphs. DC, they're fine. Are the only ones I can remember the name today. The name of today. On my last day there, I visited a game shop in a nearby town in, in order to buy a copy of the Mississippi Queen to take home with me. At the same time, I also got myself a copy of Elfinland, which I knew nothing about other than it had won the same spiel to something thingy the day before, according to a local newspaper. It became a family favorite like the very same day. Uh, how did the Mississippi Queen change my life? How did it not? It did introduce me to the wonderful world of modern, board, modern day board gaming and got me on the trail of a local board game group called Forum, uh, which I had joined as a member in 1999. In the 20 years that followed, I would become a small but very active part of this great group of people, and I am very, very proud of the things we achieved together, such as hosting the biggest annual game event in Flanders, 20th anniversary coming up, and founding the Flemish Board Gaming Award, the Guten Ludo. In the last few years, I have turned all of that down a notch in order to get more gaming time in with family and friends. <laughs> that Sorry if I butchered any words in there, but that that's a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some of these stories that we see are more about what board game was it that you brought that brought you into the hobby. And by hobby, I mean this larger conglomerate of people, this community of people, this board game geek community, this this Gen Con community, this Essen community. Um, yeah, it's like you never forget your first game kind of thing, right? It's it like, really is, yeah. yeah. Good game anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the game that, you know, the game that changed all. I mean, some people can even have experiences where the game itself doesn't actually it's not a good game you know it's like bad sex the first time but then you you still want it again great point true <laughs> true and so you go on and you you try something else as a result of saying well if this this can exist surely somebody's got it right somewhere <laughs> yeah but i i love that story about mississippi queen and it makes me want to go find mississippi queen which i don't yeah. know anything about well he did say below that they're um because I, I told him i'd never actually played that game but i've heard of it he said they are coming out with um a reprint of it soon so i'm looking forward to that coming out sometime within the next year or two excellent well i i will be happy to play it just because of sven's testimonial because it, it it makes me want to know more about this game plus i'm just immediately caught by the cover hmm. i'm a sucker for a good game cover i may have to put out there on the um atlanta game fest uh, geek list that i want to try that game and see who might probably have it i'll bet we have some from some friends oh yeah that have it. oh yeah. yeah ward leon somebody would have it yeah somebody <laughs> would have it um, and here's an interesting one. It, it gets outside of the very first game I played or the thing that got me into the hobby. There's um, Scott Daniel from San Diego, California, says, by far the most significant gaming experience of my life. Almost all of my closest friends I met because I was uh, I met because I was playing D&D or it s- served as the cement to a budding friendship and bonded it into something deeper. I still play to this day with 40 plus years behind me. When I add on the creativity and organizational skills I've developed playing the game, it's one of the defining activities of my life. And I, I will say that, man, D&D communities, um, role-playing game communities can be just as intense as, um, as board gaming communities, but they're usually in smaller clusters because you have a, a gathering of people who play um, rather than you know, four or five, six tables all at once playing. Um, but the creativity and organizational skills, I mean, there are skills that people learn playing role-playing games that you can't learn anywhere else or that you can, but it's much more, 
I don't know, much more difficult to acquire those skills. Mm-hmm. Just because it's such a collaborative thing. The other thing about role-playing games is that, you, you know, you said it's kind of a smaller community, and that's because you're you're with a group of people for a long period of time. The cult of the new is not exactly as real for the role-playing game community as it is for the board gaming community, where you're just trying to find the next new experience. In role-playing, you're making some kind of commitment to go along a path with a group of people for a long time. And you can have the Sometimes same... Sometimes three years. And you can play the same... <laughs> like, you could repeat a campaign, but it's completely different, right? If you do it again with a different dungeon master in a way right you could i'm sure yeah yeah and different people um from i'm gonna read another one here um this one's talisman and i'm gonna read talisman because talisman has a kind of a functional point in my life as well <laughs> um this is from jour dolenk who slovenia he's from slovenia thank you thank you brian uh he says for me it was talisman the german edition by schmitzpiel we were in Austria. My two friends and I were, dis- were we discovered a shop with board games. Not by accident we were looking for it, but we had no idea such games existed. And there it was, this magnificent dragon staring at us from the shelf. It changed everything. Regular gaming nights, the building of a dedicated gaming room, infecting my son and my significant other. Now more than 30 years later, I can look back with fondness, thinking how far we've come. Talisman, man, for all that it is, it's a roll and move game. It's there's nothing particularly strategic about Talisman except building yourself up to get to the point to go to the top of the tower. Sounds very similar to Dark Tower. Uh, but it it brought something new to the roll-and-move community. It brought D&D to those of us who really didn't have much experience with D&D. I joined the Dragon Alliance of Gaming and Role-Playing uh, when I was maybe about... 13, 14, maybe 15 or 16 even. Um, This was a group of dedicated gamers who met, I think, once a month at our local Sergeant Singers. And it was mostly role-playing games going on there, but somebody brought out Talisman. And that was, for a while there, that was like on a regular basis my favorite game. It was the game that I went to for every game gathering I went to because I just didn't understand these others. I didn't feel connected to the role-playing community and also felt kind of like as an out, like an outsider getting into the, this group of people. Um, and then I met my friend Sean or I, I knew my friend Sean, but we didn't know we both loved talisman. And then we got to the point where talisman second edition wasn't available anymore. And he stretched himself and eBay had just started up and he stretched himself and he found talisman second edition he got the entire thing, and it took him a, a bit of money, but um, that was like a quest that, that he was on, and I was kind of vicariously there with him because we had to have it all. <laughs> we had to have our acquisition disorder fulfilled in this case. Um, so Talisman made such an impact uh, just in the sense of, is it far-reaching consequences? No. Is it part of my inculcation into the board gaming community? Yes. I have one. Um, yeah, I, I have some opinions about that. Do <laughs> <laughs> you now? Um, yeah, I Talisman. I saw it on a. I didn't even see it on shelves until I got to be older, and that I think that was why I never really got into it. Um, I saw it on shelves, but there were other games that I wanted to get into more, and then eventually one of my friends who owned the game let me play it, and I had so far removed myself from roll and move games 
that about halfway through the game, I was so annoyed by it. <laughs> because I'm like, all I'm doing is going around this board until I get up randomly, get up the right stuff to get to the next level, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. But I will say that reading it, reading this game through, you know, my teenage or early 20s mind, I would have dug this game so much back then. Yep. That was the thing. And, you know, I hadn't even discovered that there were games that existed that weren't roll and move. So this was the pinnacle of roll and move to me. I'm sure it was for a lot of people because it was just, this was new. This was not, I mean, you, you went to your local comic book shop and there it was on the shelf and uh, the golden chalice has appeared also a part of the adventure game (laughs) so this is an interesting one um brian from uh colorado not this brian another brian (laughs) not Um, you're not speaking of yourself (laughs) no i'm not speaking of myself in the third person he says, uh, long ago in a galaxy not so far away, I called up my friend Nissa and asked if she felt like getting together to play some games. She already had plans with her friend Lisa, but suggested that we could all get together, get some other friends and play some Space Marine, which is a Warhammer 40k um, game. Lisa was a bit disappointed by this as she just wanted to go things with Nissa, but reluctantly showed up. As it happened... There were only so many different armies available, and Lisa and I both preferred to play Eldar. So we decided to play as a team. Due to the rather odd way we chose to play to accommodate so many players, we had some chunks of downtime, and I had nothing to do with but flirt with my charming ally. Okay, actually, I probably had lots of other things to do, but nothing in the world I'd rather do. <laughs> so we hit it off and have been gaming together as well as spending most of our life together ever since, going on 25-plus years now. Oh, that's fantastic. And I I did comment back to him and he commented back that Lisa was already into war games, RPGs, and um, some board games whenever they first met. So this isn't a, a matter of, you know, her reluctantly going gaming. It was reluctantly, I just wanted to spend time hanging out with you. Yeah. Okay, we'll go hang yeah. out with other people. That's fine. <laughs> It's an intersection point for them uh, yeah. where the game is at the intersection of their relationship building. That's a future episode. How many uh, relationships, like how many people met during a game That's or at a, a convention? Really good. Yeah. I think I may have mentioned how Ginger and I got together on the show before, but basically I was at Gen Con and I was working for um, Panda Head Games running demos of X-Crawl and... Um, that's when she first called me I'm on my one of my on my like very first cell phone is the office phone that I had because I was on call sometimes and uh, she called and we we started chatting well we started chatting on Google Messenger I think and then we uh, no Yahoo Messenger God I'm so old um, and then got on the cell phone and she said where are you at I said uh, I'm in Indiana what are you doing in Indiana um running games for this board game convention and 
we sat and talked about it and she said she knew right then she definitely wanted to go out with me because a i was into games which she had always wished she could get more into games but just never had anyone to play with but also here's this guy who's at a game convention running role-playing games and didn't lie about it the first time he spoke to her <laughs> just blatantly said yeah i'm out here running games for this game company and this is really cool this is what we do here and she said 99% of guys would have just totally lied about that and said they were on a business trip, which was technically true. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, there's sometimes an an era of the hobby where, and, and I want to talk about this in a future episode very much, an era of the hobby where the, the public view of our hobby is that uh, it, it's not a particularly positive view, so we kind of want to keep that part of ourselves away from other people just to avoid ridicule or whatever it might be, so... There's also that strange moment where you're feeling out the other person. Like, are you, are you one of my people? Yeah, it's a test. Not? It's a litmus. Yeah. Well, that was that was what I told her later. I said, if you had said, "Oh, nice," well, it was nice talking to you. I figured I figured I would have just dodged a bullet. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get with someone. I wanted to get with someone at the time who said, "Gaming, that's really cool. Tell me more." That's what I wanted. Or someone who said, oh, I love that game. That would have been even more amazing. Didn't yeah. expect it, but <laughs> it yeah. It's amazing nice. how one moment can can change the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Uh, just uh, for reference, anybody who needs reference, go back and watch the 13th and 14th episode of uh, Orville for season two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that one just... Uh, that was wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to do one more from the, from the geek list here. Uh, and uh, for those that... Uh, don't get talked about. I apologize. And for the rest of you, please go to the Board Game Geek List. Um, actually, um, Brian had sent me the link, but I didn't know it existed. And I just typed into Google games that change your life or, or, or board games that change our lives. And it just popped up. The first hit was Brian's Board Game Geek List. I was like, oh, somebody's already. Oh, Brian's already started this. Yeah, I'm cool like that. So that means that you guys can do that too. You can go and check out the the, the geek list on uh, BGG and put in your own input, uh, and and we'd love to hear it, even if we can't talk about it in the show. And for those people that I can't get to, it's just a matter of time. I'd love to just have everybody speak through us. But uh, I'm going to talk about Blackbeard, which was uh, suggested by uh, Hassan Lopez. He says in 2008, I was just starting to re-enter the board game fold after a hiatus of more than a decade. Things seemed to be happening, and I could sense that a lot more interesting games were being published. I took a gamble on a few random games to dip my feet back in. Attica from the Albany Game Store, uh, Zombie Planet, Arkham Horror 2nd Edition through my first trade on BGG, and Blackbeard were early acquisitions. I was so excited to play Blackbeard solo, and I spent hours learning the rules and playing through several sessions by myself until it slowed, slowly dawned on me that the game fundamentally sucked. It was just so janky and misguided and frustrated while having so much potential. I started to house rule it extensively. Eventually, I designed an entire overhaul, which included changing the text on most cards in the game and writing an entirely new rulebook. I played my version several times to great satisfaction. Though this through this process, I rediscovered my love of board game design, something I hadn't attempted seriously in many years. I jumped back into design hardcore, and within a year I had generated... The first prototype for my game, Clockwork Wars. In 2015, after a long wait and challenging development cycle, it was published by Eagle Griffin, and now I'm working on new designs all the time. Blackbeard changed my life by giving me the confidence to realize that I could contribute to this hobby. 
I love so very much. Nice. I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Hassan. I, I badly want to play Clockwork Wars now just to find out what that's all about because I didn't know about Clockwork Wars until now. So uh, you, you, you grab somebody in this. Thank you. I have I've I've seen the game. Um I've really, really wanted to get it to the table sometime, but I just haven't gotten around to buying it because when it came out I was in a bad financial place. Yeah. Um it's one of those games that could go well for me and it could not because there are some take that aspects to it, but it's more of an area control game, so I might like it. Um but typically ones with a take that aspect walk a fine line with me. Yeah. So I've got to try it out to see what I think. But I really want to try this because I'm a huge fan of the whole um uh my brain steampunk aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's that's what's catching my attention. Okay, I have I do have two more I want to speak about. <laughs> no, th- there are two that are, that really were close to me whenever I whenever I made this list and then whenever I put it out on Facebook too. Okay. So they're just going to be fairly short. Okay. Um, first one is uh, Bob Horton from the UK. He says, warning, not a fun story contained herein. I don't subscribe to the whole, if it weren't for X, I wouldn't be here now narrative. But what I do know is a few years ago, at the height of a relationship I've sus- subsequently come to realize was abusive, I was becoming increasingly isolated from the world. My mental health was in the pits and life wasn't really in the category of quote unquote worth living. I needed somewhere to escape to, not being welcome in my own home and having few friends I could trust. Some not particularly close friends who at the time weren't aware of my situation offhandedly invited me over to play board games, knowing I was a fan, and I ended up becoming part of their gaming group. Over time, their friendship became the escape I needed and the platform upon which I've built a completely new social circle and, in some respects, life. They helped drag me out of the doldrums, which is a debt... I can never repay, but I'm grateful for the tight friends and somewhat facetiously reliable gaming group they have become. <laughs> the going is a whole lot better now, thanks in no small part to them. Waterdeep is, wasn't slash isn't the only game we played or play still, obviously, but it's the game I think of when I think about their house we used to play in, where things started to get better. Love that. I love that. That's... I wonder if that's the same person, <laughs> maybe not, but uh, it's very similar to one of the stories or the testimonials we heard at PAX Unplugged. It is, yeah. yeah. It could be, but yeah. this this is someone from the UK, and that person was very clearly from the US. I remember their their accent. Yes. So, nah, not really. Yes. <laughs> it could easily be that this is a category of game experiences that we have as a collective. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe there are archetypes of the way that games hit us, and this is one of those archetypes. Yeah, yeah. As Absolutely. a self-care mechanism, as a healing mechanism, and I, I think a, a future episode will will do something about uh, how games can be healing or meaningful after you know challenging situations and supportive. Absolutely, yeah. And to to give a um, a light into this, um, one of our local um, circles of game people, Ando Poor, uh, posted on my Facebook call out that um he said katie may who is now his wife by the way spoiler katie may and i basically met and bonded over gaming there are two notable games in our backstory first the day we met we didn't really interact much until i was looking for a fourth person for a game of blockus 
She wanted to play, but her ride was leaving, so I offered to take her home if she stayed to play. She did. I gotta say, personally for me, that was kind of a bold move. <laughs> um, kind of dangerous, uh, but you know, Ando's a nice guy. Were it not for that, I wouldn't have friended her on Facebook, and we pro- we wouldn't have probably ever seen each other again. The second time was the second time we hung out when I was hosting a game day at the KSU Student Center, Kennesaw State University, for those of you wondering. Katie May and I were friends by this time, so I invited her. Over a game of management material, she ended up accepting 28 points worth of projects, and you're eliminated at 30. Then passed them all off to me. I had zero points before that, leading to me being the first eliminated. I got a consolation hug, the first of our lives, and that was part of what led me to wanting to ask her out. So yeah, I guess you could say those two games changed my life, wink. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Relationship games. That was that was your idea, right, Josue, to, to have a, a discussion about games and relationship in that way. <laughs> yeah. Like we've talked about games in so many relationships. <laughs> click, click, click. How many different ways can we connect games to people? I know. And that's that's what I tell my children whenever they start dating around. I say, please try to find someone you want to date within a hobby circle. That's the best way to find someone. Um, people used to go out trying to date at bars all the time. And what you're going to do is you're going to wind up possibly with an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a possibility. I never even thought about if it. You go, if you go out, your primary dating source is going out to bars. Think, there's other people who like to go out to bars a lot. If you want to date someone, get married, and then leave the bar hopping scene, that might not happen for you. However, if you think you're really into video games, go to a video game convention. See if you can meet someone there. Um, if you're into, you know, books, and you like to read a lot, go to a go to a book club. See if you meet someone. I mean, the worst thing you'll do is you'll meet you'll meet a bunch of friends. True. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when wait, even even um, like in therapy, when people would ask for, uh, like just suggestions on how to be more social and, and meet more people and be less lonely. And, and whenever anybody asks me for dating advice or I see someone asking for dating advice, I always say meetup.com, not match or harmony or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. I say, no, go to places like find a thing that you like you're interested in and go hang out with other people who already like or are interested in that thing too. It, it's a huge uh, community builder, if anything, you yeah. know, I was going to say, wait, Brian, wait. Does that mean that if I I join a telephone dating service so that whoever I date is just going to be someone who likes to be on the telephone? Possibly. <laughs> it just hit me that that was kind of uh, <laughs> that was the argument you were making. I was thinking, oh, oh, so I, yeah, we're married now, but she's always on the phone. <laughs> well, you could also be marrying. Uh, you could also be marrying an introvert who doesn't True. like going out to do things. True. And if you're just getting on the phone thing because you thought it was neat, but you like to get out and go do things, that might be an interesting crossroads for you now, that now you're married to someone who d- just didn't got on that phone service because they just don't like going out and meeting people. That's true. Ah, so you asked a trick question. You got an honest answer. Ha. Ah, uh, S- yeah, screw fine. Screw you. Ha. Fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> trying to bring levity to the scene and you get all serious on me. All right. Uh, 
I think we could probably go on with this topic forever, and there, there's still a lot of Board Game Geek posts, and there's still a lot of things. I mean, I have lots of contenders for, you know, pivot points in my life um, outside of the three that I mentioned. But, uh, of course, we're not going to subject the listener to just a continual litany of this, but to, to say to come to us and, and build community with us and talk to us about your experiences because... Uh, we're in the business of kind of cataloging these experiences and, and identifying the means and methods and, and templates out of which games impact us. And so how, how amazing is it if you come and talk to us on the Discord chat, which is Discord forward slash Geek Therapy, or if you come to us on the forum, which Hostway is... The Discord is Discord. No, it's, it's geektherapy.com slash Discord. And the forum oh, is forum.geektherapy.com. Listen to Hostway, not me. Uh, <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> and and the, the Board Game Geek Guild, uh, not, not the guild, the uh, geek list that Brian created is also a great place because you can actually feature your game that you that made the difference. And uh, I, I really like the layout, layout of geek lists. It kind of gives a, a, a nice feel to to the list. So yeah. we want to hear from you. Um, just... Come and talk to us. Tell us how games are impacting you. Yeah, the uh, the actual name of that geek list, by the way, is Games That Changed Your Life. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we talked about a lot of things. Any final thoughts, closing thoughts that you want to give before we, we shut down here? Well, it's interesting the number of the number of stories that we were able to get. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them on that geek list were about, this is how I got into the hobby. This yeah. is the game that brought me into this world. And exclusively, almost all of those were about how I made a group of friends that really have made a difference in my life. Um, some of them were talking about how it you know built their self-esteem. Um, a couple of them were about how they got, how they became closer with their family, you know, getting their kids involved, getting their wife involved with games. Um, but it's interesting how the majority of people talk about how it positively impacted their life. I think I'm the only one who had a negative story. <laughs> I, I call Trajan a negative story. Well, it wound up being good in the end. Sure. And, and so did yours. Kind of. <laughs> you met Ginger. No, that was a different gaming story. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, All right. well, without one story, you couldn't get to the other story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, my, my closing thoughts are that uh, right now I'm uh, getting ready to give a, a training on games in, in therapy to, to play therapists. Woo-hoo. And talking with one of the organizers, one of the things that uh, has come up with the people who registered already is that they want to hear the negative aspects of gaming. They want to know about how gaming is bad. And that's the narrative that um, dominates. And I'm so glad that we get to do this and we created spaces online where we can talk about the positive effects of of gaming and the positive experiences that people have and how important they are because the more stories we have like that the more we talk about those the more we can get rid of that negative sentiment around games and 
and I think that's really important. And I'm, I'm like, I'm proud to be a part of this. And I'm, I'm so happy that so many other people are sharing their stories. And I hope that they will continue to do that because it makes a big difference. And, and I can go into more details about uh, how harmful the, the opposite uh, narrative is, but it continues to do harm. And so thank you. Yeah, I, I've, uh, as a result of meeting you, Josue, and, and digging into some of the literature that you've presented, I've kind of changed my direction. I mean, most people are talking about this in relation to video games because there's this overall community sort of picture of video games as creating violence in the world, which is uh, a, a very harmful sort of, of narrative that we, we put over the top of video games as a, as a larger culture. And incorrect and, also. And, and incorrect, yeah, because the, the data is not there to prove it. And yeah. the studies are being done. And so there are some studies out there that negatively reflect on that experience. But there are not near as many anymore as there are those that show that video games are a positive impact on people's lives. So I, I wish that I could be a part of that seminar. But either way, anybody who wants to check out that seminar, it, can you tell people, Hostway, where they can go to, to be a part of the seminar that you're doing? Yeah, it's specifically for the Association of Play Therapy. So if you go okay. to their website, uh, check the events, and it's at the end of May. I don't know if you know this will be out by then, but uh, keep an eye <laughs> on it. That's a good point. I will do my best. <laughs> yeah, I will do my damnedest. Because <laughs> you're right, it would be pointless. Well, yeah. it was a few days ago, uh, yeah. but uh... but but to, to related to that, we are launching the. Geek Therapy Academy in June, which will have this type of educational material. So, you know, if you if you if you're not a play therapist and but you're still interested into this in this topic, you can find more information about that at geektherapy.com. Yeah, that's also very exciting. Yeah, uh, you know, I heard someone recently out. say uh, that we live in a world of data, and and now we can measure and monitor everything, and so there is enough data to support any conclusion that you want. And if you have a, pessimi a pessimistic attitude about something, you will find inf enough information to support that. And the same goes for the, for the positive. So, you know, like everything I said before, I, I mean it. Like we, I don't want to ever run out of examples or stories or research, you know, um, on, on these experiences. And like these, these stories, these personal stories, that's the best type of research because they, like it just matters so much to hear it from people and talk hear them talk about just how it not only changed their lives but changed their lives for the better for the most part. In Brian's example, it wasn't actually the game that did it. Yeah, but right. I think people are starving for a place to be able to actually speak about their experiences. Yeah, where that it it's not being you know in a larger sort of meta culture, it's not being listened to. Yeah. But and we can create communities in which we support and um, inspire one another in these stories. And I, yeah. I think that's just so incredible. The majority of people will never share their story. But the more of us that do share our stories will allow the people who aren't willing to share theirs but still will benefit from reading and hearing those stories because they are their own. And they that way they won't feel as alone in the world. And it will, you know help them move forward and maybe possibly, you know, connect with more people and so many other positive uh, potential outcomes. So if, if you even have a 
the slightest inclination to want to share your story, find a place where you feel comfortable doing that. And I hope, again, that we've created spaces where people are comfortable doing that. Absolutely. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's my final thought. That's where I, I go with this is just to say that because there are arenas in which I can talk about these things, I'm able to reflect on the, the wonderful changes that have happened in my life due to the media that I engage with and, and the media that inspires me. And obviously board games and, and role-playing games are a big part of that media that inspires me. And even even video games, to some extent, I'm not as inculcated as Josue is. But it it's just been... And, and I can say, you know, this has been going on for about 7 to 10 years. It, it's been since I've discovered geek therapy and since there was kind of a zeitgeist turning in the in, in our geek community towards presentation of self as a positive experience what i what i can say is that building this community of people who are willing to talk about these things and being part of it and being able to just share my story um is is just so i'm so appreciative of of you guys that are listening and of my co-hosts and of this this wonderful platform called rolling for change So thank you, one and all. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. And, uh, you know, as we say, keep on rolling for change. Woo! You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you believe the media we engage in matters, head over to network.geektherapy.com. There you'll find a number of podcasts and information about the media we love so much. If you're looking for a place to spread some love for your favorite media or a supportive home base for your own geek therapy experiences, check out our Discord at geektherapy.com forward slash Discord. As always, we want to invite you to take part in our community. You can email us at gamers at rollingforchange.com or respond to our episodes on the Geek Therapy Forum. We'd love to hear discussion about our topics, ideas for future episodes, or any input you have regarding Rolling for Change. Rolling for Change is a passion project for each of us, but your support means a lot. Our theme music comes from Rocket Scientists. You can find their music over at bandcamp.com. As always, thanks so much for listening, and keep on rolling for change.